Like Michelle said, my name is Gino Allison, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I want to just issue a spe special welcome to those of you who, who are visiting with us for the first, second time. I see some new faces here that I don't recognize. Welcome to the vineyard. Um, before we get uh, into the message, Pastor Dave is going to be preaching this morning. Um, I do just want to take just a few minutes uh, to, to, to briefly just discuss a, a few items uh, from the news this week. You know, we have a deep conviction here at this church uh, not to be unduly political. And some of you have reflected that you appreciate that about this church. Uh, as a multi-ethnic church, as a multicultural church, as a church that welcomes people from different backgrounds, ethnic groups, and worldviews, we just expect that we will have a diversity of, of opinion and diversity of thought, particularly on the matters that, are, that matter most to us. So we welcome that diversity of opinion and thought, and so we try to be a place that really respects that, and we don't use this podium in an unnecessary way to sort of try to shape your political opinions. And while we do try to avoid being unduly political, there are some issues that arise uh, that we feel necessary to not tell you how to think and tell you what to believe, but to help you wrestle with those and view those issues in light of the scripture, rather than just being swept along on the lazy ri river of the culture in our thought. And so if you've been following the news uh, this week, you know that the several executive orders have been issued this week. One of them uh, imposed a 120-day uh, ban or um, um, excuse me, suspension of the Refugee administration, uh, uh, Admissions Program and this sort of also banned immigrants from seven of the countries that we perceive to be the biggest threats to our national security, most notably uh, including Syria, which is a place where many uh, refugees are fleeing um, some persecution and violence there. And this has caused a major uproar in our country. I have personally been off of Facebook uh, for the last, you know, for this month because of our fast, and so a lot of the chatter I have sort of avoided, but I popped on last night, and sure enough, this is one of the issues that people are talking about. And so if you're like me, you've got friends on both sides of the political aisle, and you have friends that uh, have differing opinions on both sides of this. Some feel like this is a great move, our national, it protects our national security interests, while others, many of my friends, really feel like this is a huge misstep. Uh, this is a huge issue because it fails to show due consideration for those who, are, who need refuge and those who need a safe place to go. Many regard this country as a place that is a country of immigrants. Some of you are here are immigrants. Some of you here are descendants of immigrants. And so it feels un-American, and for many it feels unchristian to impose such a ban and such a restriction on helping those uh, who are refugees and those who are fleeing uh, uh, their, their country. So there's a major uproar. And while we avoid being political and unduly controversial, um, and we stop short of trying to tell you what to think, I think it's our job and it's our deep conviction when these issues arise to challenge you, to press you, to view these issues in light of your faith. And so at this moment, we're standing at the intersection of our faith and real life. We're standing at the intersection of our faith and real life, where the things that we say we believe about the poor, about immigrants, about people who are under the boot of life, the things that we say we believe are really, we're really forced 
to wrestle with the leanings of our hearts on this. And I'm not here this morning to set an uncomfortable mood or tone in this room, especially before I hand the stage to my colleague here, but I'm here to challenge you to consider what the Bible says about how we should regard people who need our help. And so what the common thing is, is for us to view the scriptures through the lenses of our worldview. And our worldview have been shaped by our families of origin, our experiences, our ethnicity, our culture, our heritage, all those things are fine, but it's a real mistake when we view news and we view issues and we view people, uh, as particularly the scriptures, through the lenses of our worldview. What we're challenged to do, what I'm challenging each and every one of us to do, is to view the world through the lenses of scripture, through the world and these current events and these major issues through the lenses of scripture. Because when we do this, we are more equipped to deal with what I call our overriding values. And oftentimes we have these values that don't compete with each other at all. We have a value for the poor. We have a value for refugees. We have a value for uh, preserving our national security and various interests like that. But at moments like this, these issues, these values intersect in ways that cause us to pick one to choose which one is going to be the overriding value, to choose which way our heart leans and which way our heart votes in the words that we type and say. And so right now we're at an intersection of faith in real life, and we're having to decide what is the overriding value. Is the overriding value our nation's security and interest, or is our overriding value what the Scripture says about how we should regard those who are under the boot of life? those who are orphans and those who are widows and those who are refugees, what are our overriding values? And so I've been forced to go to the scriptures this week because I wrestle with this. I've heard rather convincing arguments on both sides, but I keep going back to Matthew 25 where Jesus says, I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was, I was hungry and you fed me. I was naked and you clothed me. And the brother said, Lord, when did we ever find you naked? When did we ever find you hungry? When were you ever a stranger? And we welcome you. Jesus says, as you've done these things unto the least, you've done them to me. And so what Jesus is saying, when you fed the hungry person who couldn't feed themselves, when you clothed the naked body that couldn't clothe themselves, when you welcomed a stranger who didn't have a pot or a window, Jesus says, you welcomed me. And so this isn't to say that I don't believe that we, should be, we shouldn't be uh, cautious or take the right measures to ensure national security, but I just feel like we shouldn't necessarily do that at the expense of being compassionate toward those who need help most. And without going into all of this today, I just challenge you to Google, what does the Bible say about the immigrant? What does the Bible say about the refugee? And you will find that the Bible talks about that probably more than it talks about many other things. And so the challenge for all of us today is to put our money and our life where our mouth is. We love to run to the scriptures when we're trying to make a case for the sanctity of life. We love to run to the scriptures when we're trying to make a case uh, for restricting marriage to be, uh, to, between a man and a woman. We love to run to the scriptures when we're talking about human sexuality, but the Bible says a whole lot about the immigrant and the foreigner and how his people should welcome them. 
And so I'm not telling you what to think this morning. I'm not telling you what to post and what to share. I'm challenging you, as I've been challenged, to let the scriptures help you make an opinion on this. Let the scriptures do it. Let's view this issue collectively through the lenses of scripture. And secondly, I want to challenge us all to pray. In just a minute, I'm going to invite you to stand so that we can pray for our president, so that we can pray for those who, uh, who, are, who are really on the, on the wrong end of this issue. But the other thing I want to challenge us all to do, as I was challenged just this morning, see, this is the easy part, to get up and talk. This is the easy part, to, you know, to shoot something off on Facebook or to share an opinion. The more challenging thing is to see how we can actually help, actually put some resources and energy and effort to being the hands and feet of Jesus as it relates to those who are refugees. So I've asked India, uh, my administrative assistant, to research this week what we as a church can do uh, to, to be of help here. So personally, I want to financially support anybody who is doing some work on this area. And as a church, we can offer resources and maybe our time, particularly if there's something close. But we don't want to stop short of just talk, you know, we don't want to just talk about this stuff. We want to be able to provide you with some resources to vet some organizations so they wouldn't bring before you a list and say, hey, these are the people doing some work. If you want to support them, let's do that. So what, what our plan is for, you know, a week from now to have a list of organizations and opportunities that we can actually uh, put, our, put our money where our mouth is on this. And so I want you to be thinking about this. Don't just be in neutral on these issues. Don't be swept down the lazy river of culture and, and popular opinion. Let the scriptures inform how you think about this. This is so important. I, can I just invite you to stand right where you are? If you're able to, if you're able to. And we're going to spend just a few minutes praying uh, for our country, praying for our president, and praying for some of these issues. Again, if, you, if, you are, if it's difficult for you to stand, please don't feel any obligation to do so. Lord, I just thank you so much um, for your truth. I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that you call us to, to love one another the way that we've been loved. And, Father, we recognize that the way you loved us is, is, is terribly sacrificial. It, it, it put you out to love us. It cost you something to love us. It, it, you, you were vulnerable in order to love us. And so the way that you challenge us to love the world around us is in a sacrificial, risk-taking way and, Father, may we commit ourselves to doing that. Our Father, I pray that in our spheres of influence, we would, be an we would take these opportunities to turn on the lights for others. We would avoid being unduly controversial and mean-spirited as we engage this culture, Lord, but we would be righteous voices and beacons of light and truth. Father, I lift up President Trump to you today. Father, regardless of whether or not we agree with him, Father, he is... Uh, the leader of this country, and you command us to pray for those who are in leadership. So, Father, I pray that you would cover him in, with wisdom. Father, I pray that you would surround him with people who can speak righteous truth into his life. Lord, break his heart for those who are under the boot of life. Break his heart, Father, for those who, 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 who can't fend for themselves. Break his heart for the, for the immigrant and the refugee and those needing to seek refuge in a country like ours. Lord, help us to be your hands and feet. And so, Father, as we go out this way, Lord, I pray that we would purpose in our heart to have you and your word instruct how we think and how we feel and how we speak and how we tweet 
or Facebook or whatever we do, Father, may it be you in the driver's seat of our heart. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Hey, while you're yet standing, would you give a warm vineyard welcome to David Jacob as he comes bring us? That is, that is the very first uh, standing ovation that I think I've ever had in my entire life. That was nice. That was, I'm just going to kind of be quiet and relish that for a moment. Uh, but hey, welcome again to the South Suburban Vineyard Church. Like Chino said, my name is uh, David Jacob. Again, we just want to welcome anybody who's visiting with us for the first time. Uh, we're so glad that you're here. Uh, also, just want to uh, welcome anybody who's, anybody who's listening to us on our website or our podcast. We'd love it if you would join us here on Sunday morning. I think we've got a great thing going here. Uh, so uh, come and join us here on Sunday morning. Well, this morning I'm going to be continuing our sermon series that we've been calling Devoted. Devoted. And if you've been around for about a year or two or maybe longer, you might have noticed that just about every year, at the beginning of every year, we try to launch into the new year with a pretty challenging sermon series. And it happened, uh, we designed it on purpose, right? And so we want to challenge all of us to come together, and we, we design a 30-day challenge and, and help us to kind of boil things down so that we can really launch into the new year in a really effective and godly way. Uh, and, so, and so that's what we're doing with this series, Devoted. Uh, and so in the past, we've used language like leaning into God, leaning into the things that He wants for us, uh, pressing forward, pressing in. This year, I feel like we've ratcheted it up a little bit. We're using words like devoted. And to me, that just sounds like such a, such a, so much of a stronger word than anything that we've used in the past, especially in light of the definition that we've been using for devoted, and that is to give all or a large part of one's time and resource to something or someone else. Uh, and I know this isn't part of our uh, official definition, but in my mind, as I, as I read that definition, I, I add the words like, no matter what. And so I think of, of this definition, to give all or a large part of my time and my resource to something, something or someone else, like no matter what. That's what it looks like to be devoted, right? And it's so much stronger than we've, than we've really ever talked about in the past. And so, and so what does that look like? It's still kind of this mysterious definition. What does that look like in our everyday lives? And what that looks like is devotion. That is, that is uh, devotion looks like love, Right? It looks like loyalty. It looks like enthusiasm for a person, a cause, or activity. And I don't know about you, but as, as we've been going through this series, I've been like really, really challenged by this, uh, mostly because as I've kind of examined my own life and I've kind of uh, you know, taken inventory of the things that I'm actually devoted to and compare them to the things that I maybe should be devoted to, you know, those two lists don't really uh, correspond very much. And so... I've been personally challenged to really reflect on what I am devoted to, what I give my time and resource to, and, and try to boil things down and be devoted to the things that God wants for us. And so I love the way that Gino opened the series, talking about how we should be undevoting ourselves, right? And the idea is we can only devote so much time and resource to things. I mean, I only have so much time, right? I only have so much resource. And so in order to devote myself to the things that God wants, I will probably need to let go or undevote myself to things. And we talked about devoting ourselves to 
Christian community. We've talked about uh, devoting ourselves to a healthy inner life or a healthy soul, as we sometimes say. Last week, I thought uh, Jordan did a fantastic job talking about the significance of regularly devoting ourselves to God's written word, the Bible, and just how important it is to devote ourselves to God's written word. And so I've been challenging myself, you know, how much am I devoted to those things? And so I'm a very introspective person. And so I've been introspectively kind of evaluating my life. But but what I also like to do is I also like to look at the people in my my life and the people around my life uh, to kind of see who's doing it right. And so I've been trying to think about who are some devoted people in my life. Who are some devoted people in my life? And the very first person that comes to my mind is my dad. I think my dad is by far the most devoted person I have ever met in my life. There's a picture of my dad. Uh, listen, I, this, is a, this is a metaphor for his entire life, okay? Uh, what you're seeing there is a man on a ladder that's on a van. Uh, that's, not, that's not Photoshop. That's real. There's no, like, trick imagery there. Listen, he's installing a second floor microwave vent, and he is devoted to that vent. And this is, this is him. This is every part of his life he does this. In his relationships, in his uh, commitments to the church, in his commitment to God, he will do everything that he can. Devote as much time and resource that he can. Be creative if he has to. You know, that's pretty, I say that's pretty creative. Risk himself, Right? To get the job done. That's my dad, and I, lo- I love that man. Another person that I um, just so easily think about as a devoted person is my intelligent, my precious, my creative, my outstanding, uh, beautiful in so many ways, my loving, darling wife, Jenny. She, she is... Eh, listen up. This is, this is her over here, okay? If you haven't met her, uh, say hi to her, okay? Listen, she very often puts me to shame when I compare my, my devotion to hers when it comes to our family, our marriage, our kids. She is just simply an incredibly devoted, devoted person. Another couple people that I could uh, easily mention are Gino and Shannon Allison, our senior pastors. And if you know me, you're not, you know that I'm not one for flattery. I'm not just sort of up here kind of, you know, uh, trying to earn some brownie points. Those of you who call this place home, I don't think that you will ever really understand just how devoted they are to you. And I'm not talking about to the crowd. I'm not talking about to the masses. I'm looking at kind of each one of your eyes and telling you that they devote so much time and energy and resource trying to help you, help your family draw closer to Jesus Christ. And and I, I admire them deeply for that. They're incredibly devoted, devoted people. What I, and I admire the, all these people's level of devotion. They, they, they bless me a lot. But what I also have noticed in these people's lives is that they, as leaders, they're all leaders in some way. As leaders, they understand that they're not perfect. And it's not just enough to be devoted. It's not just enough to work hard. But they, do. they understand that they're not perfect. And it could be very easy for them to get it wrong. And so they have an awareness that they have blind spots. That they have habits and they have hang-ups that could easily derail their life, their ministry, the things that they're focused on. Lots of things that could derail their family. And so what they've done is, uh, uh, is that they've created a lot of space in their life to allow other people 
to kind of watch their blind spots, to encourage them, to challenge them, to hold up the truth of God's word to them if necessary, and maybe even to rebuke them and to correct them if necessary. It's a very high value to those people to be able to, to do that thing, uh, to, to create that in their life. And what are they doing? They are devoting themselves to accountability. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about being devoted to accountability. And accountability is a kind of a word that we throw around a lot. And kind of depending on who you ask, you might get a different definition. Uh, but kind of in light of some of the language that we've been using uh, for this series, I want to, I want to just, just briefly define what I mean by being devoted to accountability. Well, what does that mean? It means dedicating the necessary time and resources to give others freedom and regular access to hold you accountable for your actions or your inaction. Let me read that again. I worked really hard on this definition, okay? What does it mean to be devoted to accountability? It means dedicating the necessary time and resources to give others freedom and regular access to hold someone responsible or hold you responsible for your actions or inaction. And that's really, that's really important, right? We think about them as leaders. Uh, we think about organizations. We think about corporations. We think about, you know, our president, our other elected officials. Accountability is really, really important to us. At an organizational level, it's, it's critical, especially when people have influence and when they have power. It's so important to be held accountable, right? And so I'm, I'm very appreciative of, of the press. I, I don't always agree with everything everybody says, but I'm very grateful that there are a group of people committed to discovering and exposing truth. I'm, I'm very grateful that we have law enforcement agencies uh, committed to uncovering and, and, and trying to hold people accountable for what they do and what they don't do. And so accountability is a really, really important thing, right? I think everybody would kind of agree that, it's, that it is a good thing. Well, this morning I stand before you, and I very humbly would suggest to you that you and I need that same level of accountability. We need personal accountability. As much as we like it when other people are held accountable, you and I need that personal, personal accountability. Why? Why, why is that the case? Because there's too much in our lives that have such a high stake if we get it wrong. Your marriage, your kids, your relationships, your purity, your honesty, your reputation, if that means anything to you, so much of your life is at stake and at risk if you try to do it on your own. And you don't regularly invite people to challenge you, to come alongside of you, check your blind spots, and hold you accountable for your actions. So just kind of get the juices flowing uh, a little bit this morning. I would ask you, who is your press corps? Who are the people in your life who you've invited to hold you accountable? And some of you could easily name three, five, ten people. They say, okay, yes, those people, they will get in my face if, the, if it comes to it. And they regularly speak into my life. Others of you, you're not really sure. Those relationships haven't really been defined. And so, I don't know, it's a little bit of a mystery. Others of you, uh, I could all, almost see some of you uh, just kind of folding your arms already, where you say, absolutely nobody has complete access to my life. I do not give anybody access to the deep, dark places of my life, my heart, my soul, 
It just doesn't happen. Well, no matter where we are on the spectrum, I think the Lord has something to say to us this morning. Uh, I also want to acknowledge that this can be a really heavy, heavy topic. Uh, it will make us, it should make us do a lot of self-examination in our lives and in our hearts. So let me just invite the presence of the Lord this morning. Uh, Father in heaven, uh, I thank you for who you are. I thank you that you're God and you're perfect. You are perfect. I thank you that as we worship a perfect God, we don't ever have to wonder your motives. You are good. You are generous. You are faithful to us. You are kind and loving. I thank you, God, for who you are. God, I thank you that you want the very best for our lives. You want the absolute best for our lives. And so, Lord, this morning... No matter how tough it is, God, we, we just acknowledge that we just need your spirit to come in this place, to soften our hearts for the words that you have to say to us. God, I ask that you would go beyond kind of the audible things I'm saying and speak so clearly to our spirits right now. Wherever each one of us needs to be touched, I ask that you would just touch our spirits, challenge us, challenge us in the way that we need to be challenged. Come, Holy Spirit. We need you desperately. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so before we get really far into the deep end of this, I want to acknowledge and really address something that I think will very often uh, hold us back from really engaging this idea of accountability, and that is our tendency to push back against accountability. We have a tendency to push back against Accountability. It seems like so many other topics are kind of easy to lean into, right? Easy to wrap our arms around, easy to say amen and hallelujahs, right? Talk about committing ourselves to community and service and worship and prayer and all those things. Okay, I get it. But when it comes to accountability and someone stands before you and says, listen, you need to open up. You need people in your life to hold you accountable. Suddenly we clam up, Right? Suddenly we push back, and it's not so easy of a conversation anymore. And I just have to ask the question, why? It's important that we understand why. Why do we do that? Why is it so easy to dismiss accountability? Why is it so easy to push back against accountability? Over the last 10 years, as I've really, really endeavored to engage in accountability in my own life, I've seen two really big reasons that I struggle with accountability uh, and, of course, there are many, many reasons why you and I might struggle with this, why we might push back. But I've, I've seen this in my life, and I've also seen it in the lives of other people that I have engaged in, uh, specifically about accountability. Uh, two big reasons. The first big reason, maybe the most common reason, why people don't engage in accountability is just simply fear. Fear. There's a passage in John chapter 3 that I think hits this home really, really well. Uh, John chapter 3, starting in verse 19. And we're going to read a few different passages today. We're going to start here in John chapter 3, uh, starting in verse 19. That, pa- uh, that chapter might sound familiar to you. It's, it's just, this passage is just a couple verses after maybe the most famous passage in the Bible, or the verse in the Bible, for God so loved the world, Right? that he gave his one and only son so that whoever would believe in him, believe in Jesus, would not perish, would not uh, be separated from God, but have everlasting life with our Father in heaven. And that's such a warm and, like, empowering 
verse, right? I mean, man, I just, it's just so nice to think about that. Well, you skip over a couple verses and you lose some of the fuzziness. You lose a little bit of the, the warm and fuzzy feeling. John chapter 3, starting in verse 19, um, this is what John says. He says, God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it. Why? Because of fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so that others can see that they are doing what God wants. And I just, I remember reading this passage about 10 years ago and about that time when I was like really trying to engage accountability and I'll never forget it. I was sitting at my desk in college uh, and kind of some personal time and I just sort of sat back and like, oh my, oh my. And because what is, what is John saying here? What, what is, he's saying, listen, when Jesus comes into the picture, how do you respond? When the light of Christ comes into the picture, how do you respond? And I realized that so many of the hang-ups that I had, so many of the issues that I had, were just about me uh, loving the darkness more than the light. And really hitting me home, and it... And I just realized I had so much fear wrapped up around this. And I, 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 I saw, uh, really I saw two different kinds of fear in this that I really have had to wrestle with over the years, and I'll just touch on them briefly. The first type of fear that I think we have to deal with is fear of being exposed, right? The fear of being exposed, man. John says, all who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it. Why? For fear their sins will be exposed. Listen, I don't want to make light of this. I don't want to stand up here and tell you this is easy. That you're doing something wrong and you're whipping a shape. This is so easy. Why don't you get it? This is serious. And this is something that we'll probably struggle with. The fear of being exposed. And I want to acknowledge that there's a real and oftentimes very, very deep fear of exposing our struggles exposing the dark places in our hearts and in our souls, exposing our bad habits, exposing our checkered past, right? And if we're honest, I'm not even sure that it's the fear of exposure that is really the issue. I think it's the fear of what people will think of us once those issues have been exposed, right? Because I could talk to a bunch of strangers and let them know what's going on in my life. But what about the people who are near and dear to me? What do they think once they find out how I really feel, how I really think, what's really going on in my life? And so there's a fear of being exposed. We're afraid of how our relationships will change once our sin and our struggles will come to light. For those of you who know my story, uh, you know that about us. Uh, between the time of between high school and college is about a stretch of six or seven years where I was just so very far away from what God wanted for my life. Uh, it took me about six years to finish college, so that's, that's why there was such a long stretch. Um, it was about six, seven years where I was just so far away from where the Lord wanted me. And I, just, I was just actively engaged in things that completely dishonored God on many different levels. 
And at some point, I sank so deep, I just, I just couldn't handle it anymore, and I cried out to the Lord, and he responded faithfully, and he helped to, to shift, I mean, really miraculously shift my life around. And I just remember during that time of, of turning my life and realizing that I needed to be more open, more honest with the people that, that I loved and loved me, I remember feeling a paralyzing fear of exposing my struggles with the people who love me. I remember that so, so clearly. I was so afraid of what my parents and the people who at my, my home church back home who I didn't really uh, relate to very often, I wondered what they would think if they knew that I smoked marijuana on a regular basis and that I drank the night away and that I regularly engaged in inappropriate relationships and that I spent so many study hours looking at pornography. What would they think of me? Especially since they were praying for me. And they were, they're challenging me and they're encouraging me and they had no idea that this stuff was going on. Man, what, what would they think of me? And I just remember being so afraid if they found out what I was really up to. You know, even with the accountability group that I meet with now, we're talking like 10 years later. I mean, I've, I've been leaning into accountability for quite some time and I still am afraid of what my accountability partners will think of me once they find out what I've been up to. Maybe it's irrational, it probably is. There's nothing usually anything about fear that's very rational. But I'm still afraid. These are my brothers. These are people who I trust and that I love. And I'm concerned that I have to once again let them know that I dishonored my wife. And what were they going to think of me once again that that I've been a deadbeat at work for a week, two weeks? Once again, Again, that I've failed in my responsibilities to you all here in this community. And it it frightens me. But it's something that I need to deal with, right? Something that I need to to push back against, really, as I engage in accountability. And unfortunately, uh, that's not the only fear that we deal with, right? Second type of fear that I think we deal with is the fear of giving up bad habits. The fear of giving up bad habits. John tells us in verse 19, he says, God's light came into the world, but people love the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. And like I said, I just remember reading this passage and realizing that so much of my life, so much, so, I, I mean, the, the, the world around me wasn't torturing me. There was no devil pressing on me. There was, I mean, there was, there was none of that. I mean, maybe there was, but the vast majority of my struggles was me holding on to my bad habits. And I knew that as I engaged in accountability, as that, as that I walked into the light of Christ and what he wanted for my life, I was afraid of what I would have to give up. And I remember during the transition, I mean, I, I, I was afraid Again, as irrational as it sounds, that if I sm- stop smoking marijuana, my life is just going to be boring. Like, can life exist after drugs? And some of you are giggling. Others of you have gone through that. You've had to wrestle with that. Uh, and it's, it's real. And, of course, I, I, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm living a wonderful life. I'm, I, I love, I, I probably have more fun now than I've ever had, especially in those years. But I, I, I struggled with the things that I would have to give up. I, I, I thought about 
about all the relationships that I had that were tied to all those bad habits. And I was so afraid of, of, of losing. I mean, I lost a bunch of friends, a bunch of friends as I committed to walk in the light of Christ. And I, was, I remember just being so, so afraid of that. You guys tracking with me? Some, some of you are starting to think about, man, what, what would happen if I actually engage in accountability? Like, what would I have to give up? Some of you have never introduced your boyfriend or girlfriend to your friends and church family because you realize that once you do, you're going to have to stop having sex. Some of you don't ever tell anybody at work that you're a Christian because that would mean that you'd have to change your workplace shenanigans. Some of you never, ever talk about money. Ever, ever talk about how you spend your resources because of how foolish you spend your money. And the fear isn't necessarily that, that you have to give those things up or just sort of exposing. It's not, our fear is just not that we expose the issues. There's a real fear that we will actually have to change once we walk toward Jesus. And that's serious, right? But we've got to deal with that fear because it's always going to push back against accountability. Always. The second big reason why we push back against accountability is that we're focused on others. Push back against accountability because we're focused on others. So instead of, instead of looking at our own lives, instead of looking at the issues that we need to deal with, we're so focused on what other people need to deal with, how other people need to be held accountable for their actions. And somehow it's okay for us to just convince ourselves that, you know, we're really not a problem. You know, in light of, in light of all the things that are going on in the world, why do I need to be held accountable? Why do I really need to engage this? And so all of our attention, all of our focus is on other people. Other people. Someone else should be held accountable way, way before I ever take accountability seriously. And you, think, you might think, well, I don't really do that. I don't really focus on other people. Uh, I'd, like to, uh, I'd like to take a little pop quiz, okay? Some of you are writing things down. Listen, you're, you're welcome to tally this. Uh, tally this up, uh, but I have several questions for you. Um, if, you if you don't think that you focus on other people, uh, try to answer these really, really honestly, okay? Uh, we, we just came out of maybe one of the most tense political seasons, at least I can remember in my lifetime, right? Last 18, 24 months. Okay, we're just going to slice the last 12 months, okay? Here, here we go. How many conversations and how many hours have you spent talking about how a particular candidate or political party should be held accountable for their actions? How many conversations? How many hours? Is it one hour a week? Two hours a week? Okay, so two hours a week, some of you, that's a generous low, right? That's 100 hours, 100 hours over the last year, approximately, that you have spent focusing on how someone else should be held accountable. Okay, question number two. How many hours and how many conversations have you had talking about how your boss stinks and how they should be held accountable for the many bad decisions that they've made? How many hours, how many conversations do you talk about your wife or your husband being a deadbeat and not engaging in their responsibilities within your marriage? How many hours, how many conversations? You get where I'm going with this? 
Some of you are well over three, four, five hundred dollars, okay? It's so easy for us to look outward, right? Now, let me ask the sobering question, okay? Ready for this? How many hours, okay, and how many conversations have you had where you intentionally invited other people to look into your life to help you deal with your stuff? Okay? Let me ask that again. I don't know if, I don't know if who's hearing me right now. How, how many conversations and how many hours have you invited your brothers and sisters in Christ to look deep into your life and help you deal with your junk? Now, some of you don't even need to tally the numbers. You know that it's way out of whack. I think Jesus addresses this rather poignantly in uh, Matthew chapter 7. Starting in verse 3, he says, Why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, Let me help you get rid of the speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in yours? Hypocrite, first get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Now, depending on how the results of your, this little pop quiz went for you, this might be a little sobering, right? This might be a little sobering. And listen, let me, let, me, let me say very clearly here, okay? I'm not suggesting that other people should not be held accountable for their actions. Our government, our president, our law enforcement, people with power and influence, corporations, People who have the, have the influence to affect our lives, affect the community, yes, they should be held accountable. Absolutely. We should ask the tough questions. We should seek truth, seek justice. But here's what I think Jesus is saying, and what I'm trying to say this morning, is that there should be a lopsided effort on your part to first deal with your stuff before we go looking for other people's stuff to deal with. Okay? Justice should be out there. We should engage in justice. We should engage in accountability. But accountability should start with us first. In a lopsided scale, think about the difference between a log and a speck. Okay, how much effort should you put in in your life versus how much you should try to control and try to hold other people accountable, right? And so this is what we do, right? I mean, it's just so easy to do that the world around us is crazy, man. And so we look around and we're like, man, they, they should be held accountable. Why, why should I worry about my stuff? I'm not hurting anybody. What am I doing? Well, it's not enough. It's not enough of an excuse. We push back against accountability, maybe even dismiss it altogether because we're focused outward and not necessarily inward, right? There's two big, big reasons why we push back against accountability. And listen, I know I could probably rattle off several more that are really influential, but I just, I just have recognized that many of us deal with those big reasons why we push back. And sometimes we dismiss accountability. We run from it because of those reasons. So today, uh, it's important that we wrestle with those things. I also want to present to you today that I think the Bible helps us overcome those things that push back against accountability. And I think the process of overcoming those things starts with getting a better picture of what Christian accountability looks like. What would help us to push back against those things we're pushing is to help us get a clear picture of what Christian accountability looks like. And so to begin to understand what that looks like, Christian accountability, we must first understand the biblical purpose of accountability. 
What is the biblical purpose of accountability? And I think we find the purpose of accountability as well as other very helpful uh, tips on this issue in Galatians chapter 6. Uh, we're going to be camped out here in this passage, so uh, I'd love it if you would join me there. Galatians chapter 6, you're welcome to find it in your phone. Uh, there's some Bibles at the edges of the road. Uh, as usual, the words will be up on the screen. Uh, but Galatians chapter 6, what is the purpose of accountability? What are some other things that we can learn about accountability? Galatians chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Paul is writing to the church in Galatia, trying to help them um, figure some things out, many different things. So here he's talking about trying to help people uh, re-engage with Christ, help people stay within a context of healthy community. And he says, Dear brothers and sisters, if any other believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. If you think or you are too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. You are not that important. Pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done, and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else, for each will be held responsible for your own conduct. So I think we see here that the purpose of accountability is what? Helping each other stay on the right path. Listen to what Paul says as he begins uh, this address, uh, this part of his letter. In verse 1 he says, Dear brothers and sisters, if any believer is overcome by sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly do what? Help that person back onto the right path. And what does that mean? What does it mean to help people get back on the right path? Well, I, we could probably overcomplicate this. I, I want to keep it really simple this morning. I think it just simply means pointing them back to Jesus. Pointing them back to Jesus. As, I, uh, as a pastor, as somebody who counsels people who are stuck in sin and uh, really just have a, a number of very complex issues in their life, I, the, the solution is typically the same. Just point it to Jesus. I've just learned as the years go on, and I still have a a lot to learn, trust me. But I've just, that's sort of my MO. I just, I'm not, I'm I'm not going to try to fix the problem. I'm not going to try to fix the person. That's not really my job. It's my job as a pastor. It's even your job as a community of, of believers in Christ that as someone is straying, someone is struggling, what do we do? We just point them back to Jesus. What does that look like? It looks like maybe, maybe reminding them of some of the truth of Jesus' teachings. Maybe we point them to an example or a parable or something that, that Jesus taught on that might, that might uh, uh, be very helpful to their situation. It's reflecting the truth of Jesus Christ back to them in their life. That's what, that's what it means to help people stay on the path, help them get back on the path. I think it's also kind of in that same vein Helping them understand Jesus' plan for their life. Helping them, helping them see how the trajectory that they're going doesn't at all fit the trajectory that God has for them. And so as, as we try to help them back on the right path, of course, we're trying to, we're trying to uh, point them to Jesus and his teachings. But we also ask the question, well, okay, what is God's plan for your life? 
And so we ask, and so what I might tell somebody as I engage in accountability is, listen, I, that sin there, that, that, that pattern of behavior just doesn't seem to fit with where God is, is pointing you. And so I'm trying to help them back onto the path and say, listen, that's, that's not where your life is going. And if you keep going in that direction, you will lead to destruction. It's just, if it's not God's way, it's going to be, it's gonna be a, a, a bad way. Right? And so that's all it is. Let's not overcomplicate this. Helping other people engage in accountability. What's the purpose of accountability? Is to help us reorient ourselves to Jesus and his plan for our lives. And I think this is really, really important to hammer home because I think we can easily get this wrong. Easily get this wrong. Because much of the world, much of what we see in the world around us doesn't, doesn't reflect this type of accountability at all. In the worst case, so-called accountability is really just a witch hunt, meant to publicly shame and dishonor people, right? And we call it accountability. In the best case, in the best case, accountability is about uncovering just, uh, injustice for the purpose of, of bringing justice to a particular situation, maybe being a voice for the voiceless or something like that. That's the best case that the world can offer us. But even then, in, even in the best case, they still fall short because their purpose isn't still to point people to Jesus. They, they don't point people to Jesus. And so, and so even in the best case, what happens is, you know, people just sort of, you know, they deal with the accountability and then they just sort of get left on the sideline. And people, we hold them accountable, but then they just sort of fall away. The point is to bring them back bring them back to accountability, bring them back to a relationship with Jesus, the plan and purpose that Jesus has for their life. And what's the effect of that? What's something that we can offer within Christian accountability that the world can't offer? And that as we approach Jesus, as we follow him, as we focus our lives on him, we're actually moving to a place of healing and wholeness. And so as we engage in accountability and challenge each other, what we're challenging each other is, listen, stop doing that stuff, but also move toward healing. Move toward wholeness. Move toward what God wants for you. Move toward the blessings that he has for your life. That's the purpose of Christian accountability is to help us experience the life that God wants for us in all of its fullness. All of its fullness. And I think that understanding what accountability should be like and maybe not necessarily what we've experienced, will really help us to guard ourselves against what pushes against accountability. And so we're not so easily swayed, and we see we understand, listen, this is really important because my life needs to be whole. My, health, my marriage needs to be healthy. My kids need to be healthy. My, my relationships need to be holy. This is really, really important. I need to be moving toward Jesus. I need to be healthy and whole, and so we can, we can deflect the, the push against accountability by understanding the purpose of accountability. Amen? I think another thing that we should understand uh, about uh, healthy Christian accountability is that it requires a partnership. Healthy accountability requires a partnership. Let's go back to verse 2. It says, Share each other's burdens, And in this way, obey the law of Christ. If you think you're too important to help somebody, you're only fooling yourself. You're not that important. I love that. I love that. Yo, yo, you're not that important. Okay? I love you, but you're not that important. 
Pay careful attention to your work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done, and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. For each of you is responsible for your own conduct. And I think this is really helpful because it shows us that accountability really is a two-way street. Accountability is a two-way street. And I also like how Paul sets this up because it seems like a paradox. It seems like he is presenting two opposing ideas, but, but if we look at it, we kind of see a greater truth emerge. On the one hand, Paul is saying, listen, pay attention to your own stuff. It's really, really important that you deal with your own issues because at the end of the day, as God uh, judges you and God holds you accountable for you, he's going to be, be um, judging your stuff. You aren't going to be held accountable for other people's missteps. But at the same time, Paul is telling us to share each other's burdens. So wait a minute, are we supposed to deal with our stuff or are we supposed to help somebody else? I think we need to do both, right? Because, yes, we are individuals and it's important that we take individual responsibility, right? But we're individuals within a partnership. We're individuals within a community. And so important, it's so important to understand that this is a partnership. And that has some pretty significant implications. That means that we can't give up on each other. We can't give up on each other. And this is where devotion comes in, right? It's very easy to turn a blind eye and sort of let someone drift away into whatever they want to do and say, oh, I'm, I'm not going to judge. You know, the you know, log in my eye, right? I'm not going to judge. I'm not going to get involved. It's none of my business. Paul's saying, listen, it is. It is your business. We can't give up on each other. We can't just let people float away. We can't people, let people get stuck. We have to help them. We have to, it's part of my job as being a functioning member of this community to help you when you're struggling. It's part of your job to help me. And believe me, you need to help me. I need your help. Badly, I need your help. And it's part of our jobs to help one another this, this whole thing works only if it's a partnership, right? And I also just want to say one thing uh, about this uh, that I think is also really helpful, especially within the context of church, okay? Sometimes our, our, our ideas of church can really impact how we think about these things. Listen, there's no hierarchy to this. Elsewhere, we might see some, some organization of the church where some people are leaders and and other people will play a different role. And so I think because of our human nature, we try to elevate people, right, sometimes. Listen, there's no hierarchy to this. Doesn't matter if you have a church title. Doesn't matter if you've been a believer for decades. No one is exempt from accountability. Okay? We're all in this together. So what we say very often is, listen, we're all sinners. We're all broken. We're all at level ground at the foot of the cross. Now, within this community, maybe we play some different roles and some of us are leaders, but listen, we all need each other. If this doesn't work if people, some people get to sit out and the other people have to do stuff. So whether you have a church title, you've been a, you've been a believer for 48 hours or 48 years, you need accountability. I need accountability. You with me on this? Okay. So it's a partnership. It's a partnership. We have to remember that. We have to remember that. So how do we approach this partnership? This, this, is, this, this, this is really, really important. How do we approach this partnership? I would submit to you today that 
as we engage in healthy Christian accountability, we must have a posture of love. We must have a posture of love. Paul says in verse 1, Dear brothers and sisters, if, any, if another believer is overcome by sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. Paul tells us that we, should, we need to approach this with gentleness, with humility, and in light of Paul's other teachings, in light of Jesus' teachings, I say that we need to approach it with love. Approach it, approach it with love. Listen, this partnership isn't going to last very long, or at least it's not going to be as effective as it should be if it's based on anything else but love. It's not going to be what it should be if it's not based on love. And in the waning days of Jesus' ministry, uh, he's telling his disciples, listen, after I'm gone, uh, the people around you, the world around you, are going to know you by something. Bible scholars, help me out on here. Help me out here. He says, you, they will know that you're my disciples based on your love for who? One another. One another. Not how hard-lined you are on certain issues. Not how vocal you are about, you know, the, the holiness of this and, and the holiness of that. Not how often you get into each other's face. Not even how heavy your Bible is and how holy you might appear to the people around you. He said the people around you should know you by one trait. And that is your love, your love for one another. Your love for one another. And I think this is so Important because it's so easy to get this wrong, especially within accountability. It's so easy to approach accountability with a heart full of anger and resentment. And we demand people be held, accountability, be held accountable because of jealousy, maybe even because of revenge. So many other dysfunctional reasons why we might approach accountability, right? Hatred, hatred in our hearts. What happens is our goals, our purpose for accountability, shift from restoring people back into community to shaming them out of it. And our goals shift from, uh, from affirming people, from, from helping uh, restore people's trajectory to just simply resigning them to ineffectiveness and obscurity. This is how the world around us holds people accountable. Not all the time, but very often. But I say we as people who have committed ourselves to following Christ must always choose love. Love will strengthen our relationships. Anything else will eventually tear it apart. Love is what will compel us to ask the tough questions, and it's love that will soften our hearts to be able to receive them. Love is what's going to get you to pick up the phone at 2 in the morning when your brother or sister needs you. Love is what's going to get you on your knees praying for them in their deepest struggles. Love is what is going to, is going to make us devoted and loyal and, 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 and so committed with all of our lives to help people point themselves back to Jesus, get them back in line. Anything else will just dismiss them as irrelevant and unimportant. Love is what holds us together Love is what we need. Amen? All right, well, we talked about why we, we might push back against accountability. We talked about the, the real purpose of accountability. We talked about the partnership that's necessary and the posture of love that makes us all work. I want to end our time this morning talking about some practical tips for accountability. 
okay? Some practical tips for accountability. These, the, I've, I'm, I'm going to reduce the holiness of my talk significantly. Because we, we, it's nice to be pie in the sky and really say amen to a lot of things. We need, to, we need to walk out there and do this, right? We need to walk out there and do this. So here's some practical tips for accountability. And, and as I was doing some research for this uh, sermon, uh, I, I found a, a number of really, really helpful forms of accountability, especially within the church. Um, and so there's, there's different, different ways to approach this, which I think uh, are really helpful. But uh, for the sake of our time this morning, I want to offer five tips that I think will help us jumpstart our, our account, level of accountability. Uh, and so five tips, really, really quickly. The first tip is find an accountability partner. And I would actually recommend that you find accountability partners. Uh, listen, corporate accountability is great. It's great to be within a community and sort of uh, being open and honest with other people about your issues and, and, and letting people challenge you within the context of, of a corporate setting like this, right? But we just recognize, as we say about small groups, listen, life, real life, typically happens in small groups. And, and, so, and so we commit ourselves to meeting in smaller groups. So here's what I would say. Accountability groups are here at the South River uh, Mini. We call them mini groups is that they should really be about three, maybe no more than five people uh, talking about life, really getting together, committing yourself to meeting and doing, doing those things and really diving deeply. Um, three to five people, we'll call them mini groups. And I would, encourage you, I would encourage you to get on this. Go find some accountability partners. Go find accountability partners. And as I said, listen, there's, there's lots of different versions that you can... You can do different places to meet, different ways to handle it. But I would say here at the South Suburban Vineyard, we would really just insist on one thing, and that is men meet with men and women meet with women. Uh, and, uh, it seems obvious, but that, that uh, I think some people try to get around that. Listen, the reason is, as I'm dealing with my stuff as a man, it's going to go to places that would just be awkward at best, but really be inappropriate for mixed company. And I need other men to challenge me about my life, right? And women need to challenge women. It's, that's, if there's anything I'm going to insist on is that when you go find accountability partners, it should be other men if you're a man. It should be other women if you're a woman. Make sense? Okay. Uh, the, second, the second tip is once you have found them, uh, meet right away. Meet right away. I, I never forget, I went to a, a leadership conference and one of the uh, one of the guys was like a um, uh, uh, motivational speaker, and he says, listen, I, in my years and years, if you don't do something in three days, you're never going to do it. And I, that's just all, I, I don't know if that's in the Bible, probably isn't. But uh, anyway, it, listen, if you don't, if, if once you find people you don't meet quickly, it is unlikely that you will ever meet. It says you engage in accountability, uh, quickly try to find accountability partners while this is fresh on your heart and the Lord is really pressing on this, and then quickly try to meet. Don't fall prey to the, hey, let's get together sometime. Does that happen to anybody else? Yeah, when I, when I say that, I, I, I've learned to not say that anymore because we never get together, right? So accountability is not going to happen by accident. You know, meet right away. Then the third thing, which kind of goes uh, right along with that, is once you meet, commit to meeting regularly. Meet regularly. And so during that first meeting, don't leave until you have decided 
the rhythm of accountability meetings for your group. For some of you, that's going to mean that you might, uh, just because of the place you are in life or the certain struggles you might need to meet or contact or call, text, whatever, someone every single day. And that if you need that, find people who will uh, share that burden with you on that regular basis. But others of you, you might meet once a week, maybe every other week. Uh, but don't, don't let too much time go between your meetings. Listen, if you're, if you're trying to run an accountability group where you meet every six months, that's not really accountability. I mean, unless you're devoting like a whole weekend to like, like catch up on six months, it's not really going to work. And I would suggest to you that if you're meeting, uh, uh, if it takes more than a month to meet in between your meetings, it's really not going to be very effective. So try to meet regularly. I would suggest every week or every other week, meet regularly. The fourth tip is to adopt a no matter what policy. As you meet and you commit to meeting, adopt a no matter what policy. I'm going to tell you from my experience, you will find a number of reasons to not meet. Okay? You put too much salt on your eggs, I can't go to accountability group today. <laughs> I, the water was a little too hot when I took a shower, I, I just really need to stay home in bed. Okay? I mean, you're going, to find, you're going to find an amazing number of reasons to not meet. Just adopt a no matter what. Now, there are emergencies, there are exceptions. We're not trying to police you or be overly oppressive about this. Uh, but just in general, say, listen, we're going to meet no matter what. Whether I feel like it, whether I'm up for it, whether I'm happy today, whether I'm sad today, no matter what, if it's raining, snowing, whatever, no matter what. Okay? Finally, the, the fifth tip, which uh, might be the most difficult one, is as you're going through accountability, as you're engaging in accountability, be ready to take risks. Be ready to take risks. The accountability group will just probably just be a, uh, maybe a laugh fest or, I don't know, just some folks hanging out. If you're not taking risks and going deep, it's going to be hard. And it might take some time to build trust. It might say it takes some time to develop that relationship, but if you aren't taking risks, even little risks, this, account, this whole thing is going to fall apart. Or, or it's just going to be a waste of time. That's really what it'll be. You might feel better because you maybe checked off a box, but you're really not going to be dealing with anything unless you take risks. Does that make sense? Okay, let, let me put this all together. Worship team, you can come up. Listen, accountability is so, so important. So very important. Why? Because the stakes are so high if we get it wrong. Our righteousness before the Lord, Lord tells us to be holy, tells us to be righteous, to pursue righteousness, right? He, he, he tells us to, to commit our lives to, to, to following him, to exposing our, 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 our deep, dark places in the light of Christ. And if we don't do that, we, there's just so many things we can mess up. Our relationships, our marriage, our relationship with our kids, with our friends, the prospect of marriage, the, the, so many things that can go wrong. And I would say if you're a leader in this room, you definitely need to be in an accountability group. Definitely. Because people under you need you to be held accountable for your actions and inaction. There's just too much at stake, too much at stake by not engaging 
and accountability. And listen, I, I, I highlighted a couple reasons why we might push back against accountability. You probably, as I was talking, thinking about five, ten other th reasons why you don't at all want to be a part of an accountability group. Listen, I would just say uh, work on overcoming those things. Let the light of God's scripture and his truth inform your decision, as Gino was uh, talking about earlier. Talk about the, think about the purpose of accountability. The purpose is to draw closer to Jesus. No matter how much we like our old habits, no matter how much of stuff we, we, we like, no matter how much fear there might be, really this is all about drawing closer to Jesus, reorienting our lives to, to the trajectory that he would have us point in. Let's do that. Find some accountability partners. This is a partnership, right? And I'm going to challenge you, especially as you especially as you speak into someone else's life. This is really important. I want to hammer this home. This has got to be about love. This has got to be about love. I've just seen so many people just sort of show up to an accountability group and kind of try to be the boss, right? we got all these wise things to say, not really loving, not really trying to nurture people back toward Jesus. They're just, they're just, they're just being bossy. This all works if we share our burdens together in love one another. Amen? Let me pray for our time this morning. God in heaven, I thank you. I thank you, Lord. Just how precious you are to us. Just how forgiving you are to us. God, we, we, would, we would literally be destroyed in your presence as you held us accountable, if not for the love that you showed to us through Jesus Christ. I thank you for your endless mercy thank you just, just how wonderful you are to us just, just over and over forgive us and release us and call us into a deep and uh, life-giving relationship with you thank you for all that you extend to us even when we're stuck in the things that we we want to do the ways that we want to do things so lord i i i just i just ask that you to speak to i ask that you would speak to us i know that everybody in this room is at a different place I know that we're struggling with different things. I know that there's different fears that we might be dealing with. I know that we're just all over the place. God, we need you. We need you to really engage us so that we can engage in accountability. Lord, do some work in our hearts. I ask that this worship time would just be a special, beautiful time where our hearts are just softened to you. Well, again, we acknowledge that we love you, we need you, and we thank you for everything. In Jesus' name, amen.